Hello and welcome to Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions, where every week we discuss some scientific misconception with the hope of you learning something you didn't already know about the world. I'm here with my co-host, Camden. If I never use another tissue, it'll be too soon, Hanslick Burton. And joining me is my co-host, Margaret Don't Touch My Humidifier, Hanslick Burton. <laughs> welcome to the show! That was Moonlight Bay, written by Percy Reinrich, lyrics by Edward Madden, and sung by the American Quartet in 1912. Boy, we've all heard that one before. I have. If you were a child of the 90s, you would have listened to a very famous <laughs> Hey Arnold episode. Are you serious? Where Moonlight Bay was performed. Really? Yeah. I was a child of the 90s. I was just a PBS child yeah. of the 90s. And I was a cable child of the 90s, which our listening audience will soon learn paints a lot of who we are. <laughs> um, if you hear any differences in our voices today, <laughs> as Camden sniffs and coughs, um, it's because both of us have been a little bit sick this week, so this episode's going to be a little bit shorter than normal, and by that I mean a lot shorter than normal. It's a special Valentine's Day mini-episode. And I'm sounding healthy as an ox. Me too. Um, so our first segment every week is where we share something we're excited about. Camden? On this segment of... Down the rabbit hole with Camden. Sub-segment. Uh, do you remember what you told me about urea the other day? Um, oh, I told you about urea that you can use it as a uh, ice melter. An environmentally friendly yes. ice melter. Yeah. Turns out, not environmentally friendly. Really? Uh, so they said it was good because it doesn't... It was like a pet-friendly one. But not plant. I knew it wasn't plant-friendly. Well, it's not plant-friendly, and I found out because it's high in nitrogen, which makes sense. Yeah. What do we all know of urea most commonly found in? Urine. Urine. Mm -hmm. And urine is a way for animals to get rid of nitrogen. So it's high in nitrogen, not good for plants. It can burn plants. If you ever heard of, like, plants getting, like, fertilizer burned? Yeah. Um, well, we also know that nitrogen is really bad for... Soils, too, can cause growth of unwanted plants. It can cause eutrophication in water. Mm -hmm. Turns out nitrogen, or specifically urea, uh, binds to oxygen. Mm -hmm. It actually lowers the oxygen levels in water. Yikes. Not environmentally friendly. I think stick with good old salt. So that's what you're excited about. It's called down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I will not have this conversation but with you. I will not have this conversation again with you. Isn't salt also bad for plants? Mark like it. Salting the field? What did you be excited about? <laughs> oh, you don't know, do you? What? No, I just said, isn't salt bad for plants too? Oh, yeah. I was just so. causing you. I thought you were going to give me heck about this not being an exciting thing of the week for me. Oh, I I'm am, excited but... to go down rabbit holes. Okay. But I'm just saying. Yeah. Just, you just recommended know. salt, but urea and salt are both bad in different yeah, ways. Yeah, well, urea's not better. Stop peeing. <laughs> we say here at Don't Pee on Your Leg, don't pee on your snow. On your sidewalk. Don't pee on your sidewalk. It's a free country. Margaret, what are you excited about? Um, gosh, I am excited about cough drops, honestly. 
That's what I'm excited about this week. Yeah, you need one? Do it. There he goes. Um, they have been getting me through, along with Dayquil and Nyquil, just on a constant rotation. I'm really excited about Modern Medicine this week because it's really getting me through a lot. You're going to enjoy, then, some of the things I've chosen to talk about this week. Okay. Okay, I look forward to it. Um, so let's head into the main segment of the show, the misconceptions. So every week we'll each bring a new scientific misconception to share, explain, and discuss. As a note, Kevin and I don't generally know, and today we definitely don't know, what each other's misconception will be, so we're hearing them for the first time, so it's a lot more conversational and sort of like a prepared discussion. So, um... Camden, you're raising your hand. You want me to go first? The listening audience can hear... Oh, stop. The please. sound of the <laughs> cough drop in my mouth. Hitting your teeth. So I think for their sake, you should go first. Okay. I'm happy to. <laughs> I'm happy to. There he goes. Um, okay. So my misconception this week has to do with Valentine's Day, since we're recording on Valentine's Day. Um, and it is, are oysters really an aphrodisiac? Oh. You know, I have heard that. You have heard that. Yeah. Kevin, can you first start us off and tell us what an aphrodisiac is? Well, it, it's something that's supposed to, like, chemically make you want to mate. Sure. Putting it very biologically. Well, I don't yes. know what kids are listening to at home. <laughs> I don't think kids are listening. Oh. Um, it's a food, drink, or drug, or other thing that causes sexual desire. Yeah. So, there's a myth, or maybe it's a fact, but it's not, that oysters are an aphrodisiac, um, and this myth has been around since the Roman Empire. Have you heard of Casanova before? Yeah. He was, like, a famous romantic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, he was an adventurer, and an author, and a famous Italian lover. Um, of course he, he's Italian. Of course. Um, he supposedly ate oysters all the time by the boatload for their aphrodisiacal uh. properties, which I will say right now, I don't like oysters. I don't get it. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, anything you need to chase with horseradish does not have, like, ooh, like it's not sexy. a strong, like, yeah. oh, this tastes so great. Let me just chase it with this most potent. Oh, like, do people, like, because you have to... You have to eat an oyster in a certain way. It's not really a sexy way. You, like, gulp this thing down. Well, how do you sexily gulp down a snot? <laughs> you can't. You can't. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'd rather eat, watch someone eat, like, M&M's. They're just a lot more <laughs> graceful. <laughs> you know, as husband and wife, I did not know you had a not, thing for people eating M&M's. That's not enough a thing for it. Not letting you watch me eat those anymore. It's just, I'm just saying oysters are like the, one of the least sexy foods to watch someone else eat. It's just, anyway, that's all the point here. In your emails this week, please tell us <laughs> what foods land on the M&M to oyster scale of aphrodisiacness. In terms of watching someone eat them. <laughs> um, a wedge salad is, a, is the middle. <laughs> it doesn't do it for them either way <laughs> just it's neutral um so no there is no scientific evidence that oysters are an aphrodisiac they are a good source of zinc so they can't oh. give you energy if eaten in large quantities apparently would that be good for you when you're sick we're not eating oysters today. okay i i don't want to um so they can give you energy, but not specifically, like, sexual energy. 
Um, and being zinc deficient, deficient can have negative impacts on your sexual performance, but there's no proof that the opposite is true. So, like, there's no proof that eating a ton of oysters will boost your sexual performance. You shouldn't be zinc deficient because it can hurt you, but it's not going to overcorrect by making you super, you know, aphrodisiac goal. Um... <laughs> According to the Smithsonian, the amino acids that are found in oysters might be able to boost testosterone, they said, in sedentary men, but that's it. Oh, so it's like guys <laughs> who can't get off their couch, yeah. they chug a bunch of oysters that might actually do something for them? Yes. Maybe. They, well, they might boost testosterone. Sexy. Yeah. So, again, not really proof that they're gonna cause sexual desire um careful let's not attack people well no i know but i'm just saying boosting testosterone doesn't necessarily lead to increasing sexual desire fair enough um so what people might recently be pointing to when they think about oysters being aphrodisiacs is that there's this study in 2005 that people lost their minds for because it quote-unquote proved that oysters were an aphrodisiac, but the study actually never happened. They did some research, but they never published a study. Um, and there's a couple problems with it. First, it, they didn't study oysters at all. They studied mussels. <laughs> what Se- year was this? 2005. Oh. Second, they didn't. They weren't looking to see if they were aphrodisiacs. They were looking to see what amino acids the mussels contained. They found that they contained D-aspartic acid. Oh, classic. Our favorite. Very common form of aspartic acid. (laughs) Um, But that's all they found, like, that mussels contained this specific amino acid. What happened was that the the head researcher speculated that oysters might have the same amino acid in them, and that might give them aphrodisiac qualities. And so everyone lost their minds. I found so many articles while I was doing research. Well, just like any bivalve, just eat a clam. (sighs) Sure. Do whatever you want. Um, But people lost their minds because they're like, this proves it. This proves it. We're vindicated. All the shellfish companies, I assume, just had a bunch of parties. Throw out your chalk candy. Yeah. Chug an oyster. Yeah. Chug an oyster. Get it on. Um, But no. Again, there were problems with it. That's not what the study was looking at. I already said that, but, um, I was reading that desire is a complex thing and it's unlikely to be created by a food or supplement alone. Um, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So there are things that like can help with that. Like you might think of like, well, what about like Viagra? Well, the desire already has to be there. Like, it's definitely helping you along, but it's not creating that desire out of nothing. Earmuffs, kids. Sorry. I, that was a very tame, actually, when describing... Well, I didn't know how I, far you were going to go. <laughs> no, that's it. That's where I'm going. Oh, okay. Um, so, scientists interviewed said that, okay, oysters aren't doing it. A good diet and exercise are pretty important factors in, a, in determining your sexual libido <coughs> or your sex drive. Um, they also said that if you think that oysters have this aphrodisiac effect, great, go for it. Like maybe you just have something for someone 
who eats oysters. Yeah, placebo effects are real, you know, so if you think it works for you, go for it. Um, their one, their one hint was like, hey, make sure those oysters aren't spoiled. Oh. Just make sure they're good, because, you know, if you have a romantic Valentine's Day dinner of oysters and then you all get food poisoning, that will that, not be an aphrodisiac that, at that all. That kills the sex drive. Kills it. Right there. So, um, no, they are not an aphrodisiac. Darn. Well. I'm okay. I don't look at her fridge. <laughs> That's why it's been smelling so weird. Yeah, I already opened them, too. <laughs> oh, no. How long ago? Uh, last February. <laughs> you thought they, like, aged? Yeah, like a fine wine. Ugh, gross. We do have wine, though. I need to look in the fridge. <laughs> the software crash that we were recording with, so we're going to do it one more time. Go so, for it. <laughs> this will be our first time, actually, um, reading through it again and... Unfortunately, Margaret does know what I'm going to talk about. I do. Margaret, have you ever heard the old saying, feed a cold? Starve a fever? Yep. You've yep. heard of it, haven't you? <laughs> I really have. Yeah, very recently. Um, well, this one never really quite made a lot of sense to me um, because I always kind of thought if you're sick, you should just, like, feed yourself. Like, you should not starve yourself at any point if mm -hmm. you're sick. Or if you're not sick. Yeah, don't starve yourself mm -hmm. is a great lesson here. Um, so looking into a cold, the cold is actually not one type of thing. It's actually associated 200 different types of viruses. Um, the most common of which is a family of rhinoviruses. Um, and as you know, with viruses, like if you've ever been to a doctor, what do they tell you? If you've ever been to a doctor. I don't know who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> um... For colds, they say, like, oh, well, there's nothing we can really do. You know, you just need to have lots of liquids and rest and take care of yourself. Right. Um, and you can't treat it with antibiotics like you could a bacterial infection mm -hmm. um, because that's a good way to generate these, like, antibiotic-resistant superbugs because they're getting they're growing resistant to this and you don't need them if you have a cold. And that's why it's so important that if you're given a antibacterial... Right? No, not an antibiotic. Antibiotic. Yeah. That you finish the entire course of medication. Yes. That's you, just a PSA. It's a very good one. You do not want any of those little bugs to be left over. No, because they'll learn and they'll get uh, They're sneaky. Yeah, it's then, the smartness that saves them. Yeah. Yeah. So take your entire course. Sorry. That's just uh, personal note. So, um, where did this myth come from? There's generally two thoughts of how it came about. Um, they're both sort of came around the 1500s. Um, according to Scientific American, in 1574, a medical dictionary entry by John Withels noted that fasting is a great remedy for fever. Um, this came from the logic that a cold is when you feel cold, and so a way to heat your body up is to eat. Mm -hmm. um, so then the reverse is also true. If you should eat when you're cold, you should not eat when you're hot. Yeah. I just don't know why we're still taking advice from a man who wrote something in 1547 when we didn't know what germ theory was, I don't think. That is a good good drop of germ theory and great point. <laughs> I don't know if a lot of people realize they're quoting something from a 1500s medical journal. Yeah. That's, that's before, I believe, yeah, that's before Shakespeare was writing, so... 
Maybe take oh. that into consideration. Laureate of his time. Yes, but yikes. All right, sorry, go ahead. Um, and then the other idea was that uh, if you've ever heard, like, in old, like, sci-fi fiction things, like, you know, diverting all power to the thrusters or whatever, mm-hmm. if your immune system needs a lot of energy, you don't want to be eating because what do you think people would have thought? Um, I think they would have thought that, like, you need all of the power in your body to go towards, you know, making you better and not, <coughs> and not, um... <laughs> Who was that? That was... Some stranger broke into our house and coughed in the corner. Um, and not put any energy towards digesting anything. That is true. They thought that if you ate, you were, like, telling your body, uh, hey, you can digest now. Don't worry about the immune system. Mm-hmm. Turns out your immune system has evolved for thousands of years and knows what it's doing. Uh, it's working very hard when you're sick if you, uh, you just eat. Feed yeah. it. It needs energy. Right. Everything in your body needs energy to work. It's working very hard. Give mm-hmm. it food. Mm-hmm. Um, which goes to the idea of what should you do? If you can't, there's no virus medicine, so what should you do? Um, while eating is important to give your immune system energy, actually the number one danger when you are sick is actually dehydration, which is why they tell you to get plenty of rest and drink plenty of fluids yep Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so margaret what are your favorite fluids when you're sick i love a good country gravy (laughs) (laughs) i love a good um puree like a jam some kind of jam like a heated up jam and if you're not from wherever (laughs) margaret's ill pantry is uh also commonly recommended is like Sprite, yeah. Seven Up, Seven Up is a good soup, one. tea, Gatorade. Mm-hmm. Um, Gatorade. <laughs> um, Cameron has a hate hate relationship with Gatorade. I do, and all their sugar, but they do replenish electrolytes. They do help you maintain those natural salt levels in your body. Um, if you're sick and your body's saying, "I'm not very hungry," it's okay not to eat. It's not okay not to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, really need to keep your fluids up. Um, take that from your friendly non-doctor people who go to enough doctors to tell that tell them yeah. drink those fluids. Maybe we should also provide this. This is, don't take our medical advice on its own. Consult your doctor for anything like that. Always true. Um, but don't go with the theory, starve a cold, fever, feed a fever, mm-hmm. or... I, I already got it mixed up. Fever. Doesn't matter. Yep, because uh, just eat always. Just eat always. <laughs> Period. Um, and two reasons this is important. Uh, one is that we actually can prevent a lot of colds and infections. Uh, number one thing you can do is wash your hands. Uh, mechanical washing, just moving your hands around, as I am demonstrating yep. for us. Maybe people who are into ASMR <laughs> will enjoy that part. Ugh. Um, don't get it. <laughs> that plus soap kills a lot of things. Um, so does a lot of alcohol-based sanitizers. Don't use the antibacterial ones. Although, I haven't seen them as often anymore. Yeah, you were just saying that you think companies are getting wise to the fact that consumers want uh, think, the alcohol-based ones, not antibacterial. It's either that or they're not working. Yeah. And they're not showing up anymore. Yeah. I'm not sure which is which. Um, and then Margaret... Guess what's coming out of our non-pre-recorded conversation as the second reason uh, that this is an important topic? 
And then it's about vaccines. It is about vaccines. We live in Washington. And Washington is currently in a state of emergency because people are being diagnosed with measles again. And it's 2019. 53 people have already been diagnosed. Uh, This vaccine came out actually a bit ago in 1963 when at the time the CDC said 450,000 people were diagnosed with measles a year. And in five years, the vaccine was able to get that to 30,000 and it had been well under a thousand cases for almost time immemorial. There was a blip in the 90s I saw in their data. Um, and unfortunately, we are entering another blip. Margaret, do you have feelings about people who do not vaccinate? I have so many feelings. I just get so angry because like, people think, oh, you know, well, it's not... Vaccination isn't right for my family. It's a choice that... I'm making for my family. Well, actually, no, you're making that choice for your family and my family and everyone's family because there's a thing called herd immunity. Yes, yes, which preach. Is preach. something that happens when the people who can get vaccinated, the, the people who can get vaccinated do. And so that protects even the people who can't get vaccinated from that, uh, you know, whatever illness it is because the people in their community aren't catching it because they got vaccinated, so it won't spread to them. Many people in Washington who are getting this disease are Are very young. People who are also high at risk are those who are older or, as you said, immunocompromised. So it's it's just not getting vaccinated for no reason other than, like, oh, I don't think it's right. It's just so selfish, in my opinion. Like, there are people who have medical reasons to not get vaccinated, But people who just choose not to, it is so selfish and just so thoughtless and heartless, in my opinion. It is heartless. There are very real victims of those decisions. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's often the people they don't see. Yeah. Vaccinate yourself. Vaccinate your children. Vaccinate anyone and anyone. Who can be. Who can be. Who can be. If you're a doctor, do the great work. (laughs) Preach the word of vaccination. (laughs) We'll do our part too, doctors. Yeah. Um, so before ending each episode, we thought that we would have a short segment sharing something interesting we read or listened to or watched or otherwise consumed this week. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go. Okay. Um, so I was able to enjoy a lot of snow days this week. Uh, a lot. The state of Washington has experienced the now... Well, not the state. At least Seattle has experienced the snowiest winter in the last 50 years. We had over 19 inches in Seattle proper mm-hmm. over the last week and a half. Yeah. I missed five and a half days of school. Yeah. Um, well, you didn't miss it. They just didn't happen. That is true. They did not occur. <laughs> I did not miss work. I would not be employed anymore. Uh-uh. Um And while I did enjoy my snow days, I also enjoyed learning a lot of meteorology um, from Cliff Mass, an atmosp- atmospheric science major or professor at the University of Washington. Mm. Uh, while reading about Mr. Mass, I also learned he has interesting takes on human-caused climate change. Oh, no. <laughs> and what? he is an atmospheric science professor. Wait, what do you mean? At a tier one university. Wait, he, he's, he denies that it's he is anthropogenic? Not, 
he is not sold that many of the things that we claim to be human caused are. Oh, that makes me so sad. Um, he lives in Seattle. He <sighs> works at a tier one university. He's he, an atmospheric scientist. He's an atmospheric scientist. Um, no, no, no. So I will put that out there with the disclaimer. His blog is very interesting, and I learned a lot of meteorology and about how the polar vortex works and how snow works and when you can expect snow in certain pressure zones. I did not learn a lot about climate science, nor has he quite learned all of, I think, he can about climate science. <laughs> Margaret. Oh, no. What have you been reading, watching, or otherwise consuming this week? Well, I'm still reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. Good. Slowly but Three surely. weeks in. Hush, We're proud of hush, you. Hush, hush, hush. I the just audience have to do and a book behind book next week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but, so, as Kevin mentioned, we've had some snow days, and some of his snow days coincided with my weekend um, for my job, and also we've both been sick, as we mentioned. And so, you can hear. <laughs> Um, so we have been watching some Netflix. I kind of ran through all my true crime, uh, stuff on my queue. So I was, and Kim and doesn't always enjoy watching that with me. Sometimes you do. Sometimes Not you do. every moment between you and me, audience. <laughs> he doesn't always enjoy watching it. So we decided to go for something a little lighter that we could both be, be watching and be interested in. Um, and that's Shit's Creek. And we're I, not cursing. No, we're not. It's S C H I T T apostrophe S C R E E K. Um, uh. <laughs> so it's a show that my dad loves and my sister loves, and they'd been recommending it to me for a while. I know that a lot of people really like it, so we decided to try it out on our snow days and our sick days. And it's really funny. I don't always enjoy shows with laugh tracks, and so this one didn't have a laugh track, and I was very pleased right from the get-go. Yep. Um, it's just my kind of humor, and it's... Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene, Eugene Levy. Yeah, it's just so funny. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's just... Got, it's, it has its roots in Canada, so you know it's yeah. just... Wholesome. It's wholesome entertainment. Good humor. Yeah, so I would highly recommend Schitt's Creek. It's very funny. Well worth watching. Definitely a good way to eat up your snow days and your sick days. True, true. Um, well, thank you so much for listening today. You can hear more content like this from our Sister Wife podcast, From U to O, hosted by me. Um, Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions is a podcast produced by Two Birds, One Scone. Articles, blog posts, and more about what you can do every day to conserve our environment can be found at twobirdsonescone.org. We set up an email account, so if you have any scientific misconceptions that you'd like explained, or you want to provide feedback to us, or you want to give us suggestions on public domain music, because again, pretty difficult actually to find some stuff, um, please email us at don'tpeeonyourleg at gmail.com. Have a great week! week.